So we're going to be in, in Acts chapter 15. So actually turn to Acts four, 14, uh, verse 26. We'll start there. We'll get a running start into the next chapter. We're doing a chapter a week through the book of Acts, 28 chapters, 28 studies. I hope that each week you'll read ahead. So next week we'll be in Acts chapter 16. Read ahead and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you as God, Jesus said he would. So from last week, in Acts 14, 26, this is the end of the first missionary journey. And verse 26, from there they sailed to Antioch. And that's Antioch in Syria, the home base, which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples in Antioch, chapter 15. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Let's pray. Lord, take your word now, I pray, that I prepare. Break it fresh and feed us. We're hungry. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you, Lord, you've given us a template, a model to follow as far as what you have, what you have for us 2,000 plus years later. This is what the church is to, be, is to be. So thank you for your word. Please anoint now by, by your Holy Spirit the things I prepared. And Lord, we're hungry, so feed us. In Jesus' name, amen. So between the first missionary journey, Acts uh, 13 and 14, and the beginning of the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16, we have Acts 15. There are a couple things that went on that I want to talk to you about, sort of to give a little fill-in for what's going on behind the scenes. Now, in, on this map, Paul, hearing that the Judaizers had, the Judaizers had infiltrated the Galatian churches, now these, you see that, that uh, How's this thing work? There we go. Okay. There's Galatia. So these churches here are part of the Galatian church. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. So Paul heard that these Judaizers had infiltrated these, these churches that they just got back from planting. And not only were they discrediting his apostleship, and Paul dealt with that all the time. These jealous, envious people that didn't like what he was doing, didn't like what God was doing, were jealous of him. And so he was always fighting people about his apostleship. They were also going around and perverting the gospel. And that's what we'll talk about this morning. So he wrote the book of Galatians. This is the, when he wrote it. And he wrote it in Antioch after the first missionary journey, but before what's called the Jerusalem Council that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 15. Now the Judaizers which means to live according to Jewish customs, were a group of Jewish Christians who taught that converts to Christianity must first be circumcised, that is, become Jewish through the ritual of a proselyte, in order to observe the law of Moses and keep the oral traditions of the authorities, making the proselyte ritual mandatory for Gentiles to be saved. They had to become Jewish, a, a Jewish proselyte first, and then they could come to Christ. Now, the, the title I have this morning is, How Are We Saved? Now, let me start here. We are saved not by becoming a Jew or any other religious proselyte first. That's the first thing I want to note here. 
How are we saved? Not by becoming a Jew or for any, or any other religious proselyte first. Can I have that up there, please? Thank you. Okay, that's verse 1. That's not how we're saved. Can I hear an amen? We don't have to become Jewish. We don't have to become any other thing. That's not how we're saved. Now, the teaching that there is something we must contribute, something that we must do to pay off our debt to God, that some kind of human effort must accompany God's grace if I am to be saved. So it's a mixture of grace through Christ and works through keeping the law. That is not how we're saved. The Apostle Peter, again, in between these chapters, or part of this chapter. The Apostle Peter came from Jerusalem to visit the church in Antioch and was eating with the Gentiles. He comes from Jerusalem, and they're having pork loins. They're having hot dogs. And Peter had never had them before. He arrives at the church and said, man, I want to try those things because I'm saved by grace through faith, not by the keeping of the law. And so he's having these feasts with the Gentiles. And Paul, who's now in Antioch, actually has to confront Peter. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, turn to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Because Galatians 2 and 3, I'm going to hit this morning a little bit to give you a sense of what's going on. Because what I want to talk this morning about is how are we saved is essential to understand and agree with. So in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I, Paul, withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came from Jerusalem, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision, these heavyweights. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. And here's the interesting thing. So that even Barnabas was carried away with what? Their hypocrisy. We know Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel... I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? That's what he's communicating. We who are Jews by nature, we grew up with that, that's, that's, our, that's what we, our background, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Praise the Lord. Can you hear an amen? We are not saved, secondly, by the works of the law. That's not how we're saved, even partially. How are we saved? We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Can I hear another amen? We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? It was necessary. Verse 2, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? How were you saved? When did you receive the Holy Spirit? By faith. That's how you, and that's how you were saved. That's how you must continue. Now, if I'm stepping on someone to, someone's toes a bit this morning, I want you to know that I do so sensitively, but I also do so intentionally. In hopes that you yourself are not bewitched, which means to be put under a spell, you're not believing something that is not true. 
to believe a doctrine that declares the death of Jesus Christ was either not enough or unnecessary. Clearly portrayed among you as crucified. In other words, Jesus had to be crucified. His death was necessary for our salvation. And if we could get to God any other way, his death was not necessary. Jesus in the garden said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. What's he saying? If there's any other way for people to be saved and forgiven of their sin, then let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was necessary. Can I, can I hear a, a, a gracious, thankful amen? God sent his son. Otherwise, we would never be saved from our sin. Impossible. So I don't know if you've ever seen this, this uh, website, gotquestions.org. I've looked at it several times. It's, it, I, I like it. He, they're addressing this issue, one of the questions, and they wrote this. There are many groups today with beliefs, practices, very similar to those of the Judaizers of the New Testament. The two most prominent would be the Hebrew Roots Movement and the Roman Catholic Church. The teachings of the Hebrew Roots Movement are virtually identical to those of the Judaizers whom Paul rebuked in Galatians. A primary focus of the Hebrew Roots Movement is to put followers of Christ, believers, back under the bondage of the Old Testament law. The Roman Catholic Church teaches a doctrine similar to that of the Judaizers of the New Testament in this way. Its doctrine is a mixture of law and grace. At the Council of Trent in the 16th century, the Catholic Church explicitly denied the idea of salvation by faith, listen, alone. Catholics have always held that certain sacraments are necessary for salvation. The issues for the first century Judaizers were circumcision and Sabbath keeping. The issues for modern day Catholics are baptism, confession, and others. The works considered necessary may have changed, but both Judaizers and Catholics attempt to merit God's grace through the performance of ritualistic acts. The Bible is clear that the attempt to add human works to God's grace overlooks the very meaning of grace itself, which is undeserved blessing, unquote. Paul said, and this is in Romans eleven six: if by grace it is no longer works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. And if by works it is no longer grace, otherwise works is no longer works. He wrote to, in Galatians chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And we're going to look at that in Acts 15, this yoke of bondage. Why do you put on them things that we couldn't even bear? First, look at, back in chapter 15 of Acts, verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, the Judaizers, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. It's one non-negotiable question. How are we saved? If it's the same gospel, we must agree. How are we saved? Now, there are many things that, that about which the church can disagree. The gifts of the Spirit. Pre, pre-wrath, mid, post-tribulation rapture of the church. Style or philosophy of ministry. 
singing only hymns or choruses, children in the adult service, dress how we dress or we don't dress up for church. All those things are not essentials. In, it's sad for me, quite frankly, sometimes very weary, when division over insignificant things take hold of and master our worldliness, our carnality, and our bad attitudes. And that's what can happen so easily. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, Are you still carnal? For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? He went on to say, and when one of you says, I'm of Paul, another, I'm of Paulus, are you not carnal? Paul is addressing a problem in the Corinthian church that they had these divisions and envy and strife over things that they shouldn't have. They got their focus on the wrong person. There are things we need to humbly and lovingly lay aside for the health and unity, not only of our marriages, homes, and churches, but the health of our very souls. All of these envy, strife, all these things ruin our souls. They ruin our relationships. Someone said there are two kinds of people. Those who have something to say and those who have to say something. And sometimes it's better we just zip our mouth. Can I hear an amen? Just, it doesn't matter. It's not an essential. There are many things about which we, the church, must agree the inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of the word of God. The person of God, the deity of Christ, his virgin birth and sinless life, the works of Jesus, his miracles, his vicarious and atoning death through his shed blood, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of God the Father. These are non-negotiable. If you have a different Jesus, you have a different gospel. Non-negotiable. In our chapter this morning, the one non-negotiable question, how are we saved? We must agree. The question is not, can a Gentile be saved? In fact, as you look at the account, Acts chapter 10, when Peter went to Cornelius' house, listen, it was 10 years ago when that happened from chapter 15. 10 years. And when that happened in Acts chapter 11, Peter had to defend it to the, in Jerusalem. So in Acts 11, 17, he said, If therefore God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Peter saw it. He realized this is something God's doing, and I'm not going to withstand God. He realized God's saving Gentiles by just hearing the gospel. He said in verse 18, When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. This is a whole new thing they're seeing, but they realize this is what God's doing. So they weren't, it's not can a Gentile be saved. They glorify God that Gentiles are getting saved. And thus it should be for anyone we see getting saved. Glorify God for that. Look at verse 3 of Acts 15 again. So being sent on their way by the church, heading to Jerusalem, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and look it, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Hey, they are rejoicing in this thing. So the question is not, can a Gentile be saved? The question is, how is a Gentile saved? Which the answer to which is how we all are saved, Jew and Gentile alike. What are the requirements for a Gentile to be saved by God? Now, there are actually two issues that we're looking at. We're going to look at one this morning, but there are really two here. The first is, does a Gentile, in order to be saved, 
have to become a Jewish proselyte. But the second question that goes along with that and why it would be a, a, a really essential question to answer for any Jew is if a Gentile does not have to become a Jew, then what about Israel? What about everything God promised to them? What about the covenants and the law, the promises to his people, Israel? These are, this is a very important question. Paul addresses this in Romans chapters 9 through 11 and Ephesians 2 and 3. I'll leave that for you to read. It's Romans 9 through 11 and Ephesians 2 and 3. He talks about this because it's such an important question. But the one non-negotiable question we're going to answer this morning is, how are we saved? And I think you're going to enjoy the bullets this morning. I'm talking about the bullet points, not the bullets. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. If we can put to death some of these things that gets in the way of our relationship with God, then I hope that happens this morning. Now, as we continue in verse 4, there are four meetings that actually took place here. In verse 4, we have a public welcome to Paul and his associates. Then in Galatians chapter 2, we'll look at this again. There's a private meeting with Paul and the church leaders. So again, getting, getting what's going on. And this is what's called the Jerusalem Council. I call it a conference. The third is a, a second public meeting with the Judaizers presenting their case. And that is in verse 5. Then we get to verse 6 and following. There's a public discussion with four key leaders presiding over the conference. So that's what we have here as we, as we go forward. There's this meeting. It's historic and it's strategic by God himself to settle this question. So first is this public welcome in verse 4. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. So they arrive. Everyone welcomes them. Yay, we're glad you're here. Second is this private meeting with Paul and key leaders. Again, Galatians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles or your, or your device, please go to Galatians chapter 2. I'm of, the, I'm of the conviction that the more we can take in, the more senses we can use with our Bibles to take it in, reading it, hearing it, um, all these things helps us to begin, continue to give the Holy Spirit the food that we need for our spiritual growth. So I say, if you have it there, let's read it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach, listen, look at, among the Gentiles, but privately to those who have reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So he's going to the leaders and he's communicating to them. This is such a, a wise step he's taking. Verse 4. And this occurred, what occurred? This problem because of false brethren secretly brought, secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we had in Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. Verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission even for, for an hour, that the truth, here it is again, of the gospel might continue with you. We're going we're gonna to address this, this false teaching that's going on. Goes to the leaders, and this, he had to go to them because of these false brethren. They were feigning to be Christians, but teaching this legalism as a means of salvation. The third, now, as we continue, verse 5, is a public meeting where the Judaizers are presenting their case. Notice verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, notice, who believed, they're Christians, 
rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. How are we saved? Listen, it's not by being circumcised and keeping the law. Can I hear another amen? amen? Particularly you men. It's not by being circumcised or keeping the law. That's not how we're saved. Now we get to this public discussion. In verse six, four key leaders. Verse six, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Now, I believe that these leaders in Jerusalem are to be highly commended for how they handled this situation. First of all, they received their brethren from Antioch, Paul, Barnabas, and certain others. Secondly, they came together to consider the matter. They didn't separate. They didn't say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I don't agree with you. See, for them, their convictions and emotions were held strongly and felt deeply, and they sincerely wanted to get the answer. That is very commendable. Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. There was tension there. There was contention. But listen, it's so important that we understand the need for that at times to get to the truth that's essential. They did not keep their convictions to themselves. They were sincere in what they believed. But listen, Paul and Barnabas were preaching something completely opposite. They said in Acts chapter 13, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, through Jesus. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which, listen, you could not be justified by the law of Moses. You cannot be made right with God through the law of Moses. It was never intended for that. Completely opposite. Listen, it is impossible to have it both ways. There are, these are opposing positions. They're contrary teachings. They're conflicting messages and therefore a totally different gospel. One is right and true doctrine. One is wrong and false doctrine. Both sides were going to the mat about this truth. They sincerely wanted to get to the truth and thankfully... Their tenacity, coupled with maturity and humility, and by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, they worked through this thing, and we have a fantastic finish that we'll see at the end of the chapter. They did it. So they are to be commended. They came to those in authority who could do something about the matter. They hit an impasse. They did not continue going back and forth with each other which is very commendable. At some point, we need to bring in someone to help us who can do something and settle this for us. Now, sadly, also, in this context, the church has often become so politicized or polarized by personal positions and preferences that blot out the clarity of dealing with what really matters to God. That's what happens. I am very thankful that I've heard some of these matters but not experience them here. Like the color of the walls that divide churches, the color of the carpet that divide churches, the type of music that divide churches. I, I, I wrote here on line, God help me, help us. I remember Pastor Chuck told the story, Pastor Chuck Smith, who's, who was used by God to, in the Jesus movement for Calvary chapels. He's my pastor. I was down there five years with him in Costa Mesa. He told this story about when they first, they got their first building. They built the whole thing out, beautiful building. Had new, new pews, new carpet, 
but it was, the, it was the hippie movement, the hippie days. So all these hippies, and they're packing that place out. We would get there 20 minutes to 30 minutes early just to get a seat on the floor right next to the stage. But all the hippies are coming in with their dirty feet. And so the elders went to Pastor Chuck and said, they can't come in here with their dirty feet. They're going to ruin our carpet. You know what Pastor Chuck said? Then get rid of the carpet. I said, yes. See, that's what matters to God. And that's what we want to stay focused on. What are the essential things that we need to agree on? Let's, let's hash it out. Let's get it going. And then, commendable, they stayed together, worked together, and they, after they were all done, they were still together. And they worked it out. It wasn't without a lot of difficulty, but there was testimony, there was truth, and there was the Holy Spirit with humility that brought them to this wonderful, needed uh, uh, answer. So we have this, this public discussion. Four key leaders presiding. The first one is Peter. Look at verse 7, Acts 15. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's pointing to Cornelius' house. You know that by me that's what happened. Now, how are we saved? Listen, it's by hearing the word of the gospel and believing. Again, I'm going to ask you for an amen every time. That's how we're saved. By hearing the word of the gospel and believing. Verse 8. So God who knows the heart acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. How are we saved? Another one, by God who knows the heart. Often we're making judgment. We can't see a person's heart. And this becomes an issue many times. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord, and it's his, he needs to, it's him who takes care of that. He knows the heart. Another one, by God who gives the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? That's how we're saved, by God who gives us the Holy Spirit. How did you receive the Spirit? By the law? No, you heard and God gave you the Holy Spirit. He gave me the Holy Spirit. That's how we're born again, by the Spirit of God. How are we saved? By God who makes no distinction between us. We're all saved at level ground. That's how we're saved. How are we saved? By God who purifies our hearts by faith. Praise the Lord. Our hearts are made right by God because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. You see, the matter is a matter of the heart before God. God knows the heart. God purifies the heart. I wish you could all be with us Wednesday nights when we're going through the book of Romans. Romans 1 through 8. The truths are life-changing, deeply challenging, and forever hopeful. Gospel, Romans 1 through 8. It's we call the fifth gospel. The revelation of God from faith to faith. The, our justification by faith alone. Our sanctification through faith in God. We have a new relationship to the law. We have a new relationship to sin. We have a new relationship to the Holy Spirit. And the life of the Spirit of life in Christ, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That, there's no condemnation. I'm getting excited. It's not that the law of sin and death is not no longer around. The law of sin and death will always be here so long as God hasn't come with Jesus yet. But the law of the life of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's a higher law. It's the life of the spirit that's been given to us. How? I believe the gospel. 
I believe what God said about sin and the law and all those things. I encourage you, read Romans 1 through 8. Fantastic. Now, Romans 10 says this, verse 6. Again, if you have your Bibles, flip there, because this is key to our great commission. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth, for the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How are we saved? By confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in our hearts that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's how we're saved. I saved. Yeah. It's the gospel. I, as it says there, I, with, uh, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. In my heart, I know that I'm not righteous enough to be, be, be saved on my own merits. And I believe that. And I believe the righteousness of Christ. With mouth confession, it's linear, is made unto salvation. So I confess. Now we're going to have a Jesus call at the end of every service that we hold. Because it's so vital that you come to Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. You confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart. You understand the gospel and that you make your confession. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. We're going to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Christ, if you're hearing these things, this is how we're saved. It's a rejoicing that we have when we look at these things. How are we saved? We are saved by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Acts 15. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? How are we saved? It's not by bearing a burden that we can't bear. If you try to be saved through the law, you will have a burden that you cannot bear. You cannot, it's not going to work. Because the law was not given to make you righteous. You try and keep the law, even a little part of it, to add to your salvation, it's going to undermine the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God toward you to understand, yes, there's still sin. Yes, you will still sin. But there's an answer for that through faith in Jesus Christ and the accomplished things that he did on the cross for us that necessitate us walking with him by faith from now until we get to see him. It's by faith. It is not by bearing a burden we can't bear. It's not through the, it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe, verse 11, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, look at, in the same manner as they. I love this. This just speaks to my heart every time. What's happening? They're saying not, hey, they're saved. The Jews aren't saying they're going to be saved like we're saved. They're realizing, no, we are saved like they were saved. It's a huge admission, a huge confession to realize it's not through the law. It's not through all of our Judaisms. It's not through any. It's through faith in what God has provided through his, yes, Jewish son for all the world to believe. We are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved in the same manner as everyone else. Can you imagine if it was, it was a little on merit? Get to heaven. Oh, man, did you do what I did down there? we're going to be saying, we're going to bow before the lamb and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. 
And he's redeemed us from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And we shall be kings and priests to our God. And we shall rule and reign with him forever. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for us. That's why. Not because I went to Catholic church or my church or any other church. I went to Christ. Amen. And I became a part of his church. And thus, when the it's going to be so absolutely mind-blowing. And we bow before the Lamb. In fact, when I sing songs like that, it just breaks, it just breaks me. There's just this, this awesomeness of his majesty along with the wonder of his, of his humility. The lion and the lamb. And we're going to bow. We're going to see him as a lamb that was slain. We're going to bow before him and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain because he redeemed us. And we're going to cast our crowns before him and say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Wow. That's what we have to look forward to. Why? Because we believe what God accomplished for us, not because we did something in order that God might accept us. And from that foundation, that's why this, this chapter is just so invigorating to me. How are we saved? It's not by bearing a burden we can't bear. It's through faith, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same manner as everyone else. There's not going to be gloating in heaven. <laughs> now look at, Barnabas and Paul now, these key leaders. Verse 12, then all the multitude kept silent. And listen, you have to give, again, credit. They, they silenced the chatter and they began to listen to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So they start talking. Now the fourth leader here is James, who's the main guy at the church in Jerusalem. The key elder, the lead elder, I believe. He agrees with Peter. Verse 13, and after they had become silent, James answered, saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now, how are we saved? Here's how. By God, taking, as, taking us as his people for his name. That's how we're saved. That's what happened. What Peter says agrees also with the scriptures. Very important. Verse 15. And with this, with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So, Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, he's quoting that. It's basically this. It's describing future events when God will regather Israel and will save Gentiles. We're in, I believe, the times of the Gentiles right now. God's saving Gentiles. He's going to again deal with the nation Israel. I believe that. So that's, this whole prophecy is future God's going to gather Israel and save Gentiles. So how are we saved? By God making us his people called by his name. Amen. How are we saved? By God who said, I will do it. How are we saved? By God who does all these things. How are we saved? Verse, look at verse 18. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Listen, we're saved by God who knows what he's doing. Can I hear an amen? God knows what he's doing. Now you might say sometimes, well, how come he got saved? Does God know what he's doing? What? You're kidding me. Does God know what he's doing? Listen, I look in my mirror and I say, does God know what he's doing? I say, God, you chose me, so I'm your problem. See, by God taking us as his people, making us his people, he said he will do it, does all these things, who knows what he's doing. I say, praise the Lord. 
That's the gospel. That's how we are saved. Look at verse, um, oh, I wrote here. Not only does God know the heart, but God knows absolutely everything, absolutely. God cannot learn. Now, in Romans, this last week, we were talking about a couple of doctrines that would say that God doesn't know everything. God can't know the future. I have a theological term for that. I'll share it with you again. It said, it, the term is baloney. God knows all things. Isaiah 46, remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet along, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God knows exactly, perfectly, absolutely everything. So James' conclusion, verse 19, therefore I judge that we should not trouble these, those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we, we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. How are we saved? Listen, by turning to God so he can do for us what he wants to do. And that's what happened with the Gentiles, and that's what happened for us. They're turning to God, and now they're going to give them some necessary instruction uh, boundaries, if you will, to now help them to grow in their faith in Christ. So they turn to God. See, our salvation, we turn to God, saved us by believing the gospel. Jew and Gentile are all saved by the same, in the same manner, through faith. Our sanctification then comes into play now. Turning to God now, in a relationship with God, it means many, many, many things that we're learning about God. Doctrinally, Jews should no longer trouble the Gentiles. This is settled fact. They are saved by grace through faith in Christ just as a Jew. So he says there, among the Gentiles, stop troubling the Gentiles. Doctrinally. Morally. Idolatry and sexual morality have always been wrong, no, no matter what, in God's economy. So morally, these things should start being less and less of what we are doing or tempted with. And he's saying to them, hey, avoid these things, abstain from them, because they'll ruin you morally. Now, lovingly and practically, the Gentiles are to live sensitively so to never stumble your Jewish brothers and sisters. So for the, Gentile, for the Jews, say, hey, stop troubling the, the Gentiles. They're saved. <laughs> they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to keep all these rituals. And to the Gentiles, says, hey, you be sensitive of your Jewish brothers and sisters. Because they had love feasts, they'd eat together all the time. Be sensitive to them. Things strangled, things of blood. Don't, don't, in other words, be, as Paul addresses in, in a couple areas in the Bible, we're, we're to limit our liberties for the sake of love. So if it's going to cause my brother to stumble, I'm not going to do it. See, that's sanctification. That's growing and understanding this gospel. Now notice verse 21. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. You see, the word of God will continue to be the authority that governs the church. That hasn't changed. They're going to hear the word of God. So in hearing the word of God, that's going to be what sanctifies, what unifies, what brings everyone together. We come together under the word of God. Can you hear an amen? That's our unity, is the, is the word of God. On our website, we believe that the 66 books of the Bible, 
The scriptures that make up the Old and New Testament are, in, are the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God and are the infallible rule of faith and practice. The word of God is the foundation upon which this church operates and, in the, and, and, and is the basis for which this church is governed. We believe that the word of God supersedes any earthly law that is contrary to the Holy Scriptures. It's going to be read. It's going to be read here. Now, I'm not going to go through the rest. I'm going, to, I'm going to outline it for you in a moment. But listen, there's a fantastic finish here. Fantastic. Notice verse 22. It pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send the chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul. So they're going to go back to the home base. And then they took these other guys with them. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. So now they're going to send back. But here's the first thing that is so key to a fantastic ending. They, ha- they gave doctrinal clarity. They sent by mouth and witness these guys who had been there, been at the council. So it wasn't through an email. No, they didn't have email back then, did they? Listen, I don't know about you, but sometimes emails can be so, can be taken so easily wrong. Easily. But you get someone face to face and you hear from their mouth and you got some letter. Doctrinal clarity. That's the first fantastic finish. They wound up with that. Notice verse 25. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Or being good to us, being assembled with one accord to send chosen. It seemed good to us. We need to send someone back and tell them what we arrived at. The second thing of of a fantastic finish is there was spiritual purity. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden. But there are some things that need to be addressed here that what, what we're not saying. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Perish the thought. Romans chapter 6, perish the thought. So they're sending back these these boundaries to say we want you to have spiritual purity. That's always a fantastic finish. And then the final one, again, it seemed good to Silas in verse 34. So they also had then the continuing of personal ministry. That's a fantastic finish, wouldn't you say? Now, the final little section here, which we'll attach to our next study. They had a not-so-fantastic start on the second missionary journey. Because Paul and Barnabas get into it. Let us now go back, and they had this big contention. And there's always going to be those things that, that we have to work through. So let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. I thank you for this chapter. It's almost central in the book of Acts. It's certainly central to understanding how we are saved. And we're thankful, Lord, that you are the one who saves us. In this whole section of seeking and saving, Lord, we're to stay at it, we're to pray at it, we're to do all these things. But, Lord, you're the one who saves. You saved us from our sin by us believing the gospel. We're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should ever boast. So we, we stop, pause here, and just say, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for making it clear. Sending Jesus to die on a cross. And as my fellow brothers and sisters are head bowed, eyes closed, and you're just praying, there's a battle going on all the time for the soul's of sinners and maybe you're here today well not if you're here you're here you're here and you don't know God yet you have not really put your faith in Jesus Christ who God sent to die on a cross for your sin 
And there is no other name given among men under heaven by which you must be saved. There is no other Savior. There's no other gospel that saves except the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to do three simple things. First, to raise up your hand. Secondly, to stand up and make your, conf your, your confession of Jesus as Savior. And then to walk up to one of the tables where someone will pray for you. This is not to embarrass you. This is to solidify what you need to do, know you need to do, and now you're going to do it. And when you are obedient to God, He will give you eternal life. He will, you will know what's going to happen when you die, that you will go to heaven. You will be saved from sin, death, and hell. And it will be the beginning of a fantastic journey in the rest of, the rest of your life here and then in the age to come when we'll all bow before Jesus. So if, if you today want to get right, you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to know that when you die, you're going to heaven. If that's you, just raise up your hand. If you'd hold that up, I want to acknowledge you. It means of praying for you. I see your hand there. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? We're, we're praying. And I'll, I'll, I'll say again, there's a battle going on in your heart. If that battle's going on, know this. God loves you. What God has said he will do, he will do. He'll make you his, part of his church, his family. You'll be in the forever family of God. So again, we're just another moment. If that's you, just raise up your hand. I want to acknowledge you. Okay, and as we're still praying, brother, if you would stand up. I'm going to ask you to make your way to the table, and then there someone will pray with you, either, the, either side. And, and right there, yeah. And we're going to give it up if you don't mind, because the angels are rejoicing. God bless you.